Hi, my name is Amy. The Old Testament reading is found in Numbers 13, 25 through 30. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Donnie. The New Testament reading found in Acts 5, 40-42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Chauncey. Please stand for the gospel reading found in John 14, 1, 25 and 27. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear your word, your spirit. And Lord, we ask that you'd open our hearts, that we would love and serve and follow you. To the glory of your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, even though last Sunday was a snow Sunday and so we didn't gather at, at Palmer High School as New Life Downtown, we did combine and some of you were able to stream it online uh, with New Life North. We had one 11 o'clock service last week and um, we did start the new series last week. And so if you missed kind of week one, you can always catch it on the New Life North, New Life uh, main uh, podcast. Uh, Pastor Brady and I did kind of a team teach discussion sort of thing. It was really fun. But the series that we began last week and that will take us all the way to Easter is called One Last Thing. It's actually going to be six last things, but the idea is that it's one last thing. These are the final conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples and with his Father. These are the final conversations Jesus is having with the people uh, that mean the most to him before he goes to the cross. Now, I don't know if you've ever spent time with um, people who are close to the end, who are close to dying and, and know it. And, and maybe you've been around folks who have had the gift of being in their right mind all the way up until the end. And so you maybe will remember moments spent around their bedside or in their room, some of the conversations that you had. And sometimes those are the most meaningful and most memorable things that were said. And 
When a person knows that their time is coming, they start to be clearer. They start to say the things that really matter. Jesus, in John's gospel, has spent a lot of moments saying that his time had not come. If you read early in John's gospel, John chapter 2, Mary, the mother of Jesus, tries to get him involved with the whole issue of uh, the, the wedding having run out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, don't, don't bother me with these things. My time has not yet come. But now in John 13, it op- John 13 opened up with Jesus saying quite the opposite. He said, now is the time. Here it is. This is it. And so last week, the phrase that we used was, as I have loved you, love one another. Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all authority, uh, uh, put everything under his feet, given him authority over all things, what does Jesus do? Takes the very lowest of the lowest place takes a place, does something that not even a Jewish slave would do. He washed their feet. And he begins to say, with this kind of sacrificial, status-erasing, serving kind of love, love one another. Take on the attributes and status of a servant. That was last week. Today we're in John 14, and the phrase for this morning is, do not be troubled. Now, if you think about it, this is a phrase that would apply just as well today as maybe it did 2,000 years ago. Many of us, at least judging by what people post on Facebook, are troubled about lots. And perhaps we would say, maybe rightly so. There's lots to think about in our world that is deeply troubling. We think of the atrocities and the evil that ISIS is, is, is wreaking, the havoc that they're wreaking in the Middle East we think of all of the trouble that's happening in Nigeria with Boko Haram, and we think of all the different places in the world where there's tremendous pain. And you say, of course I'm troubled. How could I not be? And for others of you, if you just mention one or two things about what's happening in our country, perhaps even the name of our president, and all of a sudden, oh, <laughs> stirs up all of this strife. It's deeply troubled about so many things. And there's a part of us that when we hear Jesus say, do not be troubled, we think, hey, Jesus, easy for you to say, Mr. Galilean country bumpkin. And we forget that Jesus lived as a Jew under Roman rule in the first century. And we forget that life was no picnic for a Jew living in the Roman Empire. And it's worth thinking about the pain, the stress, the oppression The fear that they lived under. So much so that there was a group of Jews called the Zealots. They sort of had had enough. They had enough of of Rome kind of imposing on them. They had enough of, of living under the threat of fear. They had enough of not having proper religious freedom. They had enough of it. And the Zealots were ready to pick a fight. And they kind of thought, look, if we pick a fight, then Yahweh will finish it. That if we just get this started, we'd sort of force God's hand and God would act on our side and everything would would work out. There was a group like that in Jesus' day. It speaks to me of a turbulent time. It sounds like that, the song in Les Mis, the song of angry men. Troubled, worried, angry, upset, ready to change things. And Jesus says to his young followers, do not let your hearts be troubled. Maybe there's another part of us that thinks, how dare you, Jesus? How dare you tell me how to feel? 
You know, as modern 21st century Americans, we're very sensitive to people not invalidating my feelings. If I'd like to feel troubled, I will be troubled. Now I understand, of course, there is a way that we should not invalidate each other for being where they are. I understand that. But maybe at a deeper level, we want to know, how does, where does Jesus get the, 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 the gall, the audacity to command them to not feel a certain way? What do you mean, don't be troubled? Are you watching the news? Are you addicted to the TV? Do you see breaking news every hour? Like, of course I'm troubled. Maybe we need to understand a little bit about how emotions work how these feelings of our heart kind of work, how the deep, the seat of human emotion, the heart, how that actually functions. You know, some would say, well, maybe emotions are really just sort of physical sensations that you can't really help. They're biological responses, and so when something triggers it, you know, you get the hair standing up in the back of your neck, or you get the sweats in your palms, and, you know, whatever. Or others would say, maybe from the evolutionary psychology perspective, you'd say, well, emotions are really adaptive responses to our environment. So when there's a threat of danger, you feel fear so that you'll run away and therefore survive. But if that's all emotions are, then (laughs) we have even more reason to to pick a bone with Jesus and say, well, how can you tell my heart not to feel a certain way? This is just adaptive responses to my environment. Unless there's another way to understand this. Robert Roberts, Bob Roberts, is a distinguished professor of philosophy at Baylor University. And some years ago, he began to develop this theory of emotion. There's a book called Spiritual Emotions. And he began to develop a different way to think of emotions. And the the official phrase is this, that emotions are concern-based construals. Like, oh my gosh, I have no clue what you're saying. But think about this. Based on a concern that you have, you begin to construe the situation or the world in a particular way. I'll give you an example from last night. We have a two-year-old that doesn't really enjoy sleeping. And so every night, it takes about 90 minutes to get her to sleep. And then she sleeps for about two hours, and then she wakes up either because she has to go potty or it's already happened in bed, and we've got to do something about that. And so then we spend another 90 minutes trying to get her back to sleep. Now, if my concern was to have a nice, quiet evening where we put a classical record on the record player and sit by the fire, Holly and I, reading thick books, either quietly or out loud to one another, if that was my con- that's what my heart is set on, then the way I'm going to construe my daughter, our daughter waking up like that, is going to be what? Anger. Irritation. Frustration. I am perceiving the situation as an interruption, and my emotion of anger tells me that I am perceiving the situation as an interruption. Does that make sense? But if I say, you know what, that's a legitimate concern. Everybody needs a little time to themselves without crying. But there's a deeper concern. If I'm listening to parents whose children are now grown, and they say to me, and to many of you, no doubt, Soak up every minute. They're gone before you know it. And they've forgotten what it's like to live for days without sleep. They've forgotten what four hours of consecutive sleep feels like, you know. 
But if I'm paying attention to that, I say, okay, so my concern then is to really enjoy every moment. I might read the situation a little differently. Sure, I might also get angry, but I might correct that anger by saying, but you know what? She's two. She's not always going to be two. Let's try to laugh at the situation. Let's try to get through it. Let's, you know, and, and sometimes you can't help but laugh when at 11 p.m. at night, Jane all of a sudden pops her head up off the mattress and says, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and have cake. It's like, what are you talking about? Is this what you dream about? You know, like waking up and eating cake. You know? So maybe another way to say it, a simpler way of saying it, is that emotions are a kind of perception. They're a kind of perception, a kind of a way to see. Now, Dr. Adam, Adam Pelser is sitting in the back. He got his PhD under Bob Roberts, teaches philosophy at the Air Force Academy. He's turning red right now. A Adam puts it this way. He says, another way you could say it is that emotions are like the eyes of your heart. They're the way that your heart begins to see. So what you set your heart on determines what the heart sees and your, what your emotions kind of begin to make of the situation. So here's kind of a common illustration. Look at this picture. Seen this before? How many of you see the young lady in the picture? Right. How many of you see the old woman? How many of you see both? How many of you have no clue what you're looking at? Okay. I mean, another example is, of course, my outfit today. This shirt and this jacket is white and gold, not black and blue. I mean, that's just very clear to me, you know, perception. Perception is a powerful thing because it, it's connected to our passion. The way you, what you set your heart on determines how the heart sees and therefore this thing we call emotion, this thing that we call feeling. It's not totally voluntary, neither is it totally involuntary. And so Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Maybe he's trying to say, set your heart on something different about this situation. Don't set it on the troubling things. Don't set it on the surrounding pressures. Don't set your, your heart on these sorts of things because you know what? It's going to produce this feeling of distress and trouble. John 14, I know there were no chapter markings, but this whole section is bookended by the same command. The, it, the chapter opens with do not be troubled and it closes with do not be troubled. And in between is where we're going to spend our time this morning. See, the disciples, I think they caught it. You heard the New Testament reading this morning where it says they were beaten and then asked, ordered not to preach anymore. And it says, and they rejoiced. What are these guys, psychotic? Were they living in denial? Were they, no, no, no. They saw the trouble, but they saw something else. They saw that they were being counted worthy to suffer for the name. And so they rejoiced. I think these disciples listening to Jesus say, don't be troubled. They caught something. And I suggest to you this morning that they knew something that we don't yet know. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to unpack this. We're going to look at this and say, what, what does Jesus want us to focus on? Another, maybe to finish the example of the world around us. If you feed yourself on nonstop cable news, breaking news, and all this stuff, and your concern is set 
the thing you care about most deeply is that America be strong and safe, then you're going to see the world in a way that's going to make lots of things troubling to you. But if your deepest concern of your heart is that the kingdom of God continue to arrive on earth as it is in heaven and that the people of God will be faithful witnesses to this kingdom in their living and in their dying, then you won't be troubled. You won't be troubled. You'll see something different about the reality. Jesus, in this dialogue with his disciples, there's three sets of things that we're going to look at. Three things that it's almost they're saying something and then he answers with something back. And I'm phrasing it in we language because I think this is where we can relate. And so the first thing is this. They say, in essence, we are lost. Jesus is telling them that he's going to leave, and they're saying, we're lost without you. Don't go. How could you do this? We don't know how to figure out this life. We're lost. How could we possibly know what to do and where to go? And Jesus says, don't worry, you're coming after me. And they say, how can we come after you when we don't know the way? We say, I am lost. And Jesus says, I am the way. John 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Give us directions. Give us instructions. Show us. And Jesus says, I'll do better than showing you. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's the good news, Thomas. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. We feel lost. And Jesus says, I am the way. The remarkable thing about this, John's gospel has seven I am sayings of Jesus. Seven times where Jesus directly says, I am, ego I me in Greek. And the Greek translation of the Old Testament would have made every listener in that day said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know who else talks like that? Yahweh talks like that. The great I am. I am, ego, I me. And so when Jesus is saying these I am statements, it's very, very possible that he's saying to them, wink, wink, I'm not just telling you I'm the way, I'm telling you I am, the great I am. See, all of these Jewish prophets had pointed the people of God forward and said, one day, one day God will act One day, God will come near. To all who wander like sheep, Isaiah said, we've all wandered like sheep and lost our way. And the promise was that the God of Israel would one day come and be a shepherd to this lost and wandering sheep. And what does Jesus say? I am the way. I've come. In me, the God you've been waiting for has come. All who are wandering and have gone astray, come. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the way. But then it goes on, and he begins to talk to them about prayer, but maybe he's talking to them about prayer because he's aware that deep inside they have this fear. The way they are seeing the world, the reason their heart is troubled is they're construing the world, they're perceiving the world as a world in which nobody hears them. And we feel this. We feel, we say, no one hears me. No one hears me. I've prayed, I've called, no one hears me, no one listens. It doesn't seem like this thing works. 
Yeah, it's funny, I was reading Huckleberry Finn to one of our kids over the weekend, and you know, Miss Watson's teaching him how to pray, and she says, God hears our prayers, so you need to pray that he'll help you to obey. He says, but I thought it was more useful to pray for fish hooks. <laughs> he says, either way, I didn't get the fish hooks, you know. And this is sort of how we feel, like nobody hears me, so what does it matter? Nobody hears. And Jesus says, my Father hears you. Listen to this. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And we think, well, <laughs> that doesn't help. That's not been my experience. Do you know, I've told you the story before of a friend who's went to this orphanage in Russia, and the most eerie sound about the orphanage is the sound of silence. When babies stop crying because they no longer believe anybody hears. When children stop calling because they no longer believe anybody cares. But you know, that's the sound in many of our churches. Nobody wants to pray and really call on God because he doesn't really hear us, does he? Jesus says, my father hears you when you pray in my name. This father is not just my father, but he's your father. You are now, because I am the way, you are now in, in relationship with him, and he hears whatever you pray in my name. So, well, how does that work? Some of you, maybe you've heard the in Jesus' name thing being used, and it's like kind of like a formula, you know? It's like, snow, stop, in Jesus' name. Like, doggone it, it didn't work. Eight more inches. But in Jesus' name isn't a magic phrase. In fact, several times in John's gospel, Jesus talks about him coming in the name of the Father. That Jesus is there in the name of the Father. What does that mean? He's representing the Father. He just unpacked it a few verses ago. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I come in his name. So when he says, pray in my name, he's saying, come as me. Come and pray as I would pray. Maybe the way we can say it is to pray in Jesus' name is to pray in a way that is consistent with Jesus' character and purpose and person. To pray in a way that is consistent with his character and purpose and person. Maybe to put it even more simply, it's to pray what Jesus would pray if he were in your situation. How would Jesus pray? Pray here. This is how I want to pray. And then all of a sudden you start to think of all the prayers that Jesus prayed, including the great prayer in his darkest hour where he says, Father, this is what I would like. But if it's not possible, then nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Praying the way Jesus prayed. That's profound. You can reflect on that all week. Mom, think, Lord, how, how does that work? However it looks, I think the Psalms give us a beautiful picture of the continued, continual coming to God. Because in the Psalms, they keep asking God for stuff, don't they? Deliver me. There's enemies. I mean, you might almost think that they're all, these people are always in trouble, and kind of. But you know what? Petition 
is proof of the relationship. Petition is proof of the relationship. Remember the orphanage story. It's when you're silent that you stop believing in the relationship. But it's because the people of God believe we are covenant people. He's our covenant God. So I'm going to keep asking. And on the other side, protest is proof of the relationship. The protest that says, hey, 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 how come you didn't? Where were you? I thought you were going to. All, both of those things, the petition and the protest, are proof of the relationship. And both are great. You know why? Because both involve prayer. Both involve prayer. The worst place to be is when you've come to the place of silence. Where you said, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to pray. I have internalized in my heart that nobody hears me. So I'm not going to bring a petition and I'm not going to bring a protest. I'm going to do nothing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Come, come, come in my name. In my name. Now we get to the third set where we say, well, I think what I'm really, what's really causing the trouble in my heart is deep down I really believe that I'm all alone. We say that we're all alone. And maybe that's why we just want to go do this or that or we think, you know, this is the answer to the world's problems or we need to go fix that. We need to go f- because in the end, we're really just on this little tiny pale blue dot in the galaxy all alone. And so we've got to take care of ourselves and fight for ourselves and keep ourselves safe and do all these things because in the end, we fundamentally believe that we are all alone. Jesus knew this and he said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. Verse 18. I know how you're feeling. I know that's why your heart is troubled, because you're seeing the world as if you're all alone. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. Listen to this, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, not Something of a different kind, but another of the same kind. A helper, an advocate, one who will represent you before the court. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he what? For he dwells with you and and will be in you. Man, if you're the circling type, I would circle those words. He dwells with you. He will be in you. And then he goes on, skip down to verse 26. And he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then verse 27, he says, and so my peace I give to you. You see, for some of us, the only thing we remember about the Holy Spirit was the weird stuff. Like, I don't know, people who talked about the Holy Spirit, they were kind of weird, and they seemed sort of strange, and so I sort of put that on a shelf. For others of you, nobody ever talked about the Holy Spirit. It was like we had the Father, you know, Almighty, and we had Jesus who died, but we sort of left it there, and then people just sort of talked about the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. There was a CCM song years ago called The Bible. 
in very clever acronym fashion, basic instructions before leaving earth. As if Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I'm leaving, here's a book, peace out. I love the Bible. We stand under the authority of the Word of God. But I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't leave us a book. But the third person of the Trinity. The third person of the Trinity. Church, you've got to get this this morning. The Holy Spirit is Jesus with us. Now, if we were to press each other in a survey and say, okay, tell me honestly, would you rather have lived in the time when Jesus walked the earth? You'd probably say, yeah, I think I, would. I, think I prefer that. But do you know what Jesus would say to that question? He would say, no, 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 it's actually better for you that I go. Two chapters later, John 16, Jesus says a couple more things about the Holy Spirit, repeating some of the things he's already said in 14, but he says then this phrase, it's better for you that I go. Because then you'll have the Holy Spirit. Now, if it doesn't feel like better, maybe today is your day to really say, Lord, show me what the Holy Spirit means to work in my life. Show me the person of the Spirit of God. How am I missing this? Jesus wants his disciples to know that everything he did for them, the Holy Spirit would do for them. He says, the Father will send the Spirit in my name. There it is again, in my name, with my, as my representative. In other words, all of the things Jesus did, the Spirit would do. What did Jesus do? The disciples thought of Jesus as rabbi. Jesus was the teacher. Jesus who taught. He says, you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to teach you. Jesus was the one who always knew what to say and how to answer the Pharisees and how to answer all of the opposition. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to bring all these things to remembrance to you. I'm like, well, but Jesus, you were always our advocate, our helper, the one who walked alongside us. Who's walking alongside us? He says, not only is the Holy Spirit going to walk alongside you, he's going to dwell with you and be in you. That's why it's better. Because now we're not all pressing in around one flesh and blood incarnate son. But now we're all breathing in the very breath, the Spirit of God. Gordon Fee, the Pentecostal theologian, described the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence. The person, the person of the Godhead, the per third person of the Trinity with us personally, empowering us, moving us. We say we're all alone, and Jesus says, the Father has given you the Holy Spirit. In church, for some of you, you're scratching your head, and you're saying, what does that look like? Does it mean I have to get weird? I would encourage you to sit in Dr. Todd's Sunday school class. It's an adult Sunday school class during the 9 a.m. service over in the mini auditorium. All this month of March, sit in on that. There's going to be some teaching. There's going to be some chance to practice. Because Jesus didn't leave us as orphans. But I'm telling you, if we believe that we're lost, that no one hears us, that we're all alone, then how can we not feel troubled? 
But if we believe that Jesus is the way, the Father hears us and the Spirit lives in us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then of course it makes sense that Jesus ends this little dialogue by saying, my peace I give to you. Peace. He didn't say, here's a book, peace out. He says, here's the Spirit, peace with you. Peace in you. Peace to you. Let it breathe in. I'm telling you, church, we're not people who live with our heads in the sand. We're not people who are trying to deny the realities of situations. But we're people with a different perspective. We're people who say, I see all that. But you know what I also see? I see the Son of God, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I see my Father in heaven who hears me when I pray. I see the Spirit of God with me. This is what I see. And so for many of you, when you hear this word, do not be troubled. Really what it means is, hey, 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 look, 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 look higher. Your hearts are dwelling right here. And so it's seeing the world in this deeply distressing way. And Jesus says, lift up your hearts. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My peace I give to you. Would you bow your heads this morning? The gospel as we know, leads us, points us backward toward Christ and the finished work of what Christ has done. But you know, the gospel also points us forward to an eternal hope. And not just past and not just future. The gospel also points us, calls us to pay attention to the present, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. We don't just look backwards to a finished atonement, not just forward to a future hope, but even now to the present comforting, empowering, personal presence, the Holy Spirit of God. Church, this morning, if you would, just kind of open up your hands and Maybe it's a good time to say, to confess, Lord, my heart is all out of order. <laughs> That's why I'm feeling so much trouble is really, it's just so, it's out of order. I'm, I'm deeply worried and concerned about things that don't deserve my deepest concerns and my deepest attention. Reorder it, Lord. Reorder my loves. Reorder my heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.